And welcome back to Real Talk with the Pelvic Docs, where we talk all the P's of pelvic health, pooping, peeing, pain, pleasure, physical activity, and personal development. I am your host, Dr. Jocelyn Conley, pelvic floor physical therapist and founder of the Vagina Doc. And today I bring Jenna Hart, registered dietitian and certified personal trainer, back on the show. She was on a little while back, where and we talked about how nutritional tips to optimize health and of course because I care a lot about pelvic health related that to pelvic health a little bit more about Jenna she is passionate about empowering others on their health and fitness journeys not just for the results they they obtain but for the growth and self-development that happens along the way She believes that transformation occurs from the inside out and works to help each person learn the power of nutrition and fitness while strengthening their relationship with food, exercise, and their body. Whether someone is wanting to work on weight management, improving health conditions, breaking the cycle of over or under eating, or even challenging poor body image, Every approach she utilizes is individualized for each unique person and their needs, desires, and or health concerns. She believes that there is not any one-size-fits-all approach, and she's really dedicated to her clients understanding the importance of intentional action, sustainability, and longevity when working towards their goals. Because, so whenever I'm working with people there, I utilize, and the back, my framework is, I utilize the pelvic health habits and how a person eats and their relationship with food really does impact their pelvic health. And Jenna is, there's something about her story that I really resonate with. I follow her on Instagram and she's local and I've worked with her in the past and I built feel that we are definitely on the same page when it when we approach or how we approach working with our clients and I actually really wanted to bring her back because her story is just so interesting but I invited her on an upcoming challenge that I am hosting called the Deep Core Reconnect Live 15-Day Challenge and the challenge includes a pre-training period to get you ready for the challenge, as well as 15 days of pieces of work. uh, Well, it is workouts, but then pieces to prepare you for the mini workout. And then when, when someone gets into this, like it's important that they know, okay, I'm doing this, but how, like it's important to have the other pieces so that they are, getting the most out of the exercise piece. So I wanted someone that could speak on diet or the way that a person is eating to provide fuel for the activity. So that is Jenna's role. And then I invited two other coaches, one specific to mind, for mindset and then another one for accountability. It is a team of powerful women all with the letter J. So I'm super excited to launch that. That will be at the end of February. I believe February 21st is the first day of pre-training and then it'll go into March from there. But I wanted you guys to be introduced to her beforehand. I talk to my clients a lot about how sometimes I'm not the first person for them to work with because if they're not feeling their body or if, if the relationship with food is what's driving their behaviors. That piece is really important for them, for a person to get the most from me. And so I'm really trying to find the right team to work with so that people can get the right or see the right person at the right time. In this podcast episode, the main things we talk about is Jenna's journey and how that her professional and personal journey has influenced her career or influence mainly her personal. Yeah. They kind of go hand in hand. She has a really interesting story and I mean, it's so unique. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. So enough of me talking, 
But uh, rem- remember the disc- disclaimer of the podcast. Any information that we share in, t- in the podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only and is not to be used in substitute of medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. So if you need help, do not just listen to this podcast. See a, prof- see a professional. Let this, u- this information guide I guess I would say the verbiage that you use when you are seeking help. And then if you want to reach out to Jenna, her information will be in the show notes. So I hope you enjoy this show. Hi, Jenna. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. I'm super excited to just have you on. The three of us, while it was awesome, it can get a little bit, you know, there's just so much that I want to talk to you guys about. And I just want both of you all on your own now. So let's start off with you just sharing what you do, where you do it, and we'll go from there. Awesome. Thank you, Jocelyn. I am so excited to be here just to be able to speak to your audience again, um, just about myself and my journey. So I appreciate you having me back on. Uh, For those who don't know or don't remember, my name is Jenna Hart, and I'm a registered dietitian and certified personal trainer. And I work an online coaching business with my best friend, and we have clients all over the country um, and even one in Singapore. So we are just totally virtual, and I absolutely love my job. I also work locally with Tailored Bites as a contracted dietitian for Rachel there. So I just love the variety that I get working with different people in different walks of life and just helping them to achieve their goals because ultimately that's why I do what I do. I love the connection piece. Um, That's why I love the outpatient sort of work or the online coaching because it just gives me that personal relationship and I get to watch people achieve their goals and work toward their goals. And that just fulfills me in every way. I did not know that. So this is new to me. I mean, I knew, I knew that you did the online coaching, but is that something that you started with the pandemic or were you doing that even before? Yeah, good question. So I, during the pandemic, um, I did like little bit of zoom workouts with some friends. Um, and that's kind of what probably triggered this. So my best friend, um, her name's Brina Martinez is also, um, my bodybuilding coach. And when we just became really good friends, you know, even over coaching, um, coach and athlete, we just got this idea to kind of start our own online business. And she's very, very experienced and was working as my mentor. And she's like, you know what, you are an expert in nutrition and my clients really need that. So she really provides more of the personal training aspect. And then I do all of the nutrition for her, but together we kind of combined and started a business. That is so so cool. Tell me what like a typical day is like for you and focusing on the, on the coaching business. Yeah. So a typical day for me, um, it can be pretty variable since a lot of our clients just communicate with us via email, they'll get like a full protocol, whether the training program and the nutrition stuff. Um, But each client has a specific day during the week that they send us a full check-in. So they let us know how things are going. We kind of have this little process for them to check in. Um, So I'm always on my phone um, doing emails. And then I also do monthly nutrition calls with each of them. Um, So yeah, day in the life of Jenna would be, of course, I got to get my own workout in. So I do that first. And then I kind of come home and start busting out emails um, every now and again, throw in a couple nutrition calls. And yeah, it's pretty variable. I love creating my own schedule. Um, But yeah, we pretty much work from seven to seven. We try to have some business hours so that um, we're not staying up all hours of the night sending answering questions and sending emails, but yeah. You know how that could be. Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, even though it's so, it's a blast sometimes you, and I'm sure you can relate to this in some regard. Like I love what I do so much that I can go beyond like the seven to seven and it's like 10 PM. And I'm like, wait, no, no, no. You, you have to, you have to have some boundaries there. That was a big lesson that I've learned in the past couple of years, but that's super cool. So yeah. what l- let's 
let's go back and you introduced yourself as a registered dietitian. When did you start doing that? Is that something that you got into immediately, like while you're in college and what, let's just start, just share your journey. Tell us everything. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So I'll share a little bit of my professional journey. So that's kind of what you're asking, how I became a registered dietitian. Where did that start? What does that look like? So kind of rewind a while back when I first went to college, I graduated high school when I was 17 and I had no clue what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to dance competitively one more year. Um, and I was the first, uh, person to go to college in my family. So my parents didn't really know much about like, you should look at colleges, all that stuff. So for me, community college was an awesome place to start. And I went in and I'm like, I just want the highest paying job because I had no clue what I wanted to do. In high school, I wanted to be a neonatologist. Actually growing up from like being a child, I wanted to be a neonatologist. But when I learned how much school it was, I decided that wasn't going to be for me. So anyways, back to college, I went in and I was like, I want the highest paying job. And she goes, okay, well, maybe you should do like a business major, supply chain management, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, okay, sure, whatever. I did my first semester and did not love it at all. Um, and realized that money was not going to be a motivator for me. And I, I chose nutrition, you know, there's like always those divine moments, right? But I also feel there was like an underlying, what's the word I want to use? A little bit of like a misintended um, purpose for choosing nutrition at the time. My mindset was, oh, well, if I choose nutrition, I'm going to learn the perfect diet and I'm going to be skinny forever. <laughs> yeah. Um, probably not the best intention for choosing something and we'll get into the personal story later, but I'll just keep going with this for now. So I started, um, you know, going into nutrition and I loved it. I was surprised by a lot of the stuff that I learned because I, again, was expecting to learn a perfect diet or what not to eat. And I learned mm, things much different than that, but I loved it. I really thrived. School felt really easy for me. It always was like, I, I loved, I liked school. I liked being a student, but nutrition was something that really clicked. And two years later, I transferred over to ASU, Arizona State University, um, and finished out my degree there. And even till the last bit minute, I was like, do I want to do this? I don't know. I don't know. I remember going to my counselor and, and she's like, Jenna, you need to like do some soul searching and figure out what you want to do because you're graduating. You can't be like going back and forth, you know? So I still was very unsure all the way until the end, but I knew I was too far in and I just had to finish. Now, when you graduate with a degree in nutrition, um, you actually aren't a dietitian right away. You have to do an internship. And so I had to, to apply for internships and um, you basically pay to work for a year for free. Um, and just such a God moment too. I got to get into my dream school, which was Pepperdine University in Malibu. And I did my internship there for 10 months um, right after my graduation. So I graduated in May, I'm already forgetting, 2015. And I, I went to California in August to start my internship. So did that for 10 months. And then you sit down and take your exam after that. And so since 2016, I've been a dietitian. I remember seeing Pepperdine on your, and I, I may have said this when we talked last time, how in the world did you stay focused when you were at Pepperdine university and how did you even eat? Because it's so expensive there, you know? So yes, I, I didn't live on campus. I lived in Calabasas, which wow. Sounds so rough. Right. Um, so I lived in Calabasas, Calabasas, which is about 10 or 11 miles away from campus. And I was only on campus on Mondays. And then I was driving around LA or Ventura County um, the other days working at whatever rotation I was at. So yes, it was very expensive. I did drain my savings to live there. And thankfully, my parents are very supportive and were helpful in paying rent and all of those things. And um, focus... I actually really love the beach and it's kind of like a very centering space for me. So I would just drive to either the side of the road and just like park and open my door or just go to the beach and study and read. And yeah, I, I just love it. It's very centering for me. 
Oh my gosh. I will never forget my, my trip to Malibu with my college girlfriends. And we were driving up the hill in Pepperdine university. And we're like, we don't even know if we're going to make it in this, like our friends, Toyota, old Toyota. And it was just like such a distraction because the views of the ocean from campus are insane. That is such a cool, it's so cool that you got to do that. Yeah, it was, it was a dream for sure. I'm like, I really wish I would have come here all four years, but you know, I'm going to take my 10 months and be very thankful for that. That's so cool. You had that opportunity. Okay. Let's actually get real now. Um, I know that you and I similar, like probably the same thinking pattern. Like I went into pelvic health because my pelvic health was a hot mess express. And I'm like, no one's going down here. I'll just figure it out for myself. And so got my, um, didn't know that I didn't know, like this wasn't in my conscious awareness at the time, but like all the dots eventually connected and like why I ended up choosing what I chose. And even though originally, like I went into pelvic health to basically fix my own self, uh, ultimately that doesn't work. Like you can't, you have, you have to, yes, healing's part of it. Like, but like when you're helping someone else in order to not project your shit onto other people, you have to do the work. So What's the personal connection in your journey with nutrition and becoming a uh, registered dietitian? Oh, goodness, Jocelyn, you just really resonated with me because I love that you said that you went into it also like subconsciously, not even really recognizing. So when I preface before that I chose nutrition with kind of this um, tainted viewpoint, um, I so I'm going to rewind just a little bit and then I'll get to there. But my childhood, I would say that the view that I saw, the way that I needed to live my life all the way from childhood was perfection, performance, and expectation. So people who are listening and those who know those words, like they will probably sit in your soul and be like, that was me. So those those were the ways that I thought I needed to live. Um, I grew up as a dancer. So there was a body focus even with that, right? You're staring in front of the mirror. Um, And I never struggled with my weight as a child ever, Um, but I had parents who were yo-yo dieters, right? So I think just as a child with those personality traits, with with the sport that I was in, with just the predisposition that I had, um, my relationship with food got very skewed from a young age around probably junior high-ish. And I just felt like I needed to be smaller. I needed to be skinnier. And part of that, right, was like the insecurities that I had maybe as a person, um, I wanted to hide with if I could just be perfect. And in my mind, perfection, happiness, skinniness, they all went together. Um, so so my, my journey um, with an eating disorder, started, you know, when I was young and for about 10 years, I had no idea what was going on or I probably did in some sense, right? But I I didn't acknowledge it because I didn't fit the mold. Um, I was never skinny enough. I was never sick enough. And so I was good at hiding it. You know, nobody really knew that was just my life. Um, If people were going out to dinner, oh, I'm just really tired, you know, and and I have to take a nap or um, I was vegetarian for for many, many years. So, oh, I can't eat what you're eating because I'm vegetarian. I have to bring my own food, right? So it was very, very slippery in the way that it kind of hid underneath my lifestyle. I also became a competitive bodybuilder, which yes, I was eating more food. However, now there's this, this body image or this lean physique that I have to maintain. So everything that I had kind of set up in my life was very much protective of this eating disorder um, that I didn't know about. Now, where everything kind of hit the fan, where I kind of hit my lowest point um, in terms of my mental health. I was already working as a dietitian. I was actually very protective of my patients' um, mental health and of their relationship with food, overly protective, um, probably knowing that mine was not quite right. And I wanted them to have food freedom, but ultimately I probably wanted that for myself too, but didn't think it was possible. So in 2018, um, I 
man, it was a really good year for, for quite some time. And about midway, I just was very depressed, extremely depressed. And I had never been depressed before in my life. And I just, I didn't understand why I couldn't get out of bed, why my sermons and my, and my mindset quotes and all the things that, I, that used to work weren't working anymore. And um, I think it was in July that I was finally um, in a therapist's office and she was like, you have an eating disorder. And I had never been diagnosed. I was in denial. I'm like, no, I don't, you know, like, and, and I was really upset with that diagnosis. And um, I knew at that time when she diagnosed me that things were really bad. I mean, I was struggling with anorexia, orthorexia um, at the time, very severely. And um, I knew I really needed help. I knew I was in a space where I couldn't work anymore. Um, I was so depressed that I didn't want to live anymore, right? Like you just get to that spot where um, I couldn't go any lower, honestly, in terms of my life. And at that time in, in July, she was like, you're going to have to go to residential treatment. Now, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't even know anything about, you know, eating disorders besides what I kind of knew in school, what I kind of knew based on social media or what they share about the very severe cases of anorexia and, and all of that. And so anyways, by, by September of that same year, 2018, I found myself being admitted to a residential uh, treatment center in California. And you know, what's crazy is the I was only planning to go for 30 days. In my mind, I had this very set plan. <laughs> I only needed 30 days. I was gonna take a break from the gym. I was gonna like fix my relationship with food, you know, quote unquote fix. And um, I was gonna come home. Uh, but that didn't go that way. I was there for about five months. Um, the way that residential treatment works is there's inpatient where they need to make you like medically stable. Residential is 24 hour care where you're living in a facility or a home. I was in a home in California. And then from there you move down to like a partial hospitalization and then from there an outpatient program. So long story short, uh, yeah, it was about five months in California. Wait, let's make that a long story though. <laughs> so I'm open. What was that like? And being that you were, this is two questions and you can choose which one you want to answer first. Being that you were already giving people advice on how to eat or how, how to approach food, like there had to be a lot of shame that was, that had to be hard, right? Mm -hmm. So was that what clouded the actual reality that you did have an eating disorder and then then tell us what it was like being in a residential program for five yeah. months. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to start with the shame piece. So, you know, going from someone who really prided their themselves on on their ability to connect with people and and help them. I mean, the the cases that I saw of people thriving in nutrition um, in my, in my personal clients, I was at a doctor's office at the time, um, really was so uplifting to me and to now be in a space where I really felt like I let my patients down, um, not because of the care that I gave them, but because right. I had to leave them. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I had to literally go into my boss's office and say, like, I have to leave. I can't work here anymore. And I felt ashamed because, um, I thought, well, maybe I knew in my heart that I gave good care, but the therapists there um, were actually a little bit demeaning about it. And I remember sitting in a group one day and I was talking about my job and, and I had said like, I am a good dietitian. And then they looked around and they said, would anyone in this room want Jenna to be their dietitian? And that like really broke me, you know? Cause I thought, oh my gosh, like, was I lying to myself, you know? Um, but again, I was really, really, broken when I got there, you know, mentally I, I was unwell. Um, I was diagnosed with uh, major depressive disorder. So even in that space, like I was not my normal self, you know, it, it's beyond what I can even imagine. People that know me now are like, I can't even, you're not the same person, which of course I'm not, but going, going into that, yes, there was a lot of shame. Um, and then being in residential treatment and being a dietitian and knowing way too much about nutrition, 
was so tough. Um, there was a lot of me that was in denial still, right? Because I still didn't fit the mold. I still wasn't skinny enough. I still wasn't sick enough. I was with people who had been to treatment several times. Um, it's just a very unique environment. Um, and all of your control is taken away. Um, you're monitored 24 seven. You have to go to the bathroom with the door open. They have to watch you. Um, they cook and prepare all your food and they put it in front of you and then they watch you eat and they take notes while you're eating. Um, if you don't finish your meal because you're afraid of a food, they're gonna have you drink a supplement, right? Because it's all about um, your, your safety and your care, which I do understand. However, now on the outside looking in, I don't necessarily agree with everything that goes on in those treatment centers. Um, but again, it probably saved my life, but it was also very traumatic. So yeah, I was there um, in that treatment center specifically from um, September to November. Then I went down to Huntington Beach for that partial hospitalization program. Um, and then I struggled really bad there and actually went back to the residential program. And then I had to go straight home because the insurance thing is a whole nother nightmare. So yeah, it, it was an insane journey um, that was very much life-changing and very difficult as someone who, you know, I had a dietitian tell me when I was there, she said, Jenna, everything that you believe to be true is a lie. And that was so confusing to me because I knew that um, the knowledge that I had was not a lie. I knew that the beliefs that I had um, maybe about my faith or whatever, right? Because it all gets kind of combined, weren't a lie. Um, and so those words were very confusing, but she also said something to me that I'll never forget. And she said that this journey of recovery is about recovery of self. And it just brought me back and, and it taught me that um, maybe eating disorders or maybe somebody else struggles with something else, whether it's an addiction or something like that. Um, it's a recovery of self because somewhere in that disruptive pattern or that disordered pattern or that disordered thinking or that mental illness or whatever the, it wants to be described as, you lose yourself. And so that's what the journey became for me was a recovery of self. And um, I had to just focus on that. It was about two years when I got home from treatment in 2019, um, you know, I had to start this rebuild process, even at home. So it was a lot of focus on recovery. Wow. I don't, I, I don't know how I forgot that, that, that you were in, in resident, like you were inpatient for that long. And that was not that long ago. No. And that's the crazy part, right? So I think about it and it still comes up in my mind a lot. Maybe something will be a reminder or um, I'll think about something with treatment. I'm like, why am I thinking about that? You know, because I, I, I want to forget, but I, I'm finding lately that God keeps reminding me, um, don't forget where I brought you from, right? Like, don't forget what you've come out of. And the other piece of it that I was thinking about today, actually, was when I was first diagnosed and I first went to treatment, I just kept reminding myself that this isn't about me. This journey, this diagnosis, this um, struggle isn't about me. And it, it has to be for somebody else. It has to be for me to just share my story openly because I'm an open book. I share everything, probably a little too much sometimes. But I figure if I can help one other person by sharing my journey, then that's what it's about. That's yeah, I, I totally resonate with that. Now, can I ask you a question and you may have answered this, but I want to ask it again. At what point in that five month period, did you say, okay, yes, I have an eating disorder, but I'm not that I'm not, that's not who I am. Ooh, yeah. I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast before. Um, so actually, in that five-month process, the identity of eating disorder became who I was. 
um, probably stronger than it ever had, right? Because I was in denial for so long. And then I spent five months only focusing on eating disorder recovery. And that's just who I was, right? I had all these therapists um, that I had to see all the time. I was living in this, you know, living with a bunch of people who suffered with eating disorders. And that's just who I was. And when I came home, um, I was advised to jump right back into outpatient treatment because I wasn't done. And that um, treatment was going to, or recovery was going to take seven years is basically what I was told. So I'm like, wow, this is, this is great. You know, seven years. I don't think I can do this. Like, I just thought for sure I was going to die with an eating disorder because there was just no way. I didn't believe in recovery either. Um, and I just struggled and struggled. I came home. I did okay. I had to go back um, in Arizona. I stayed in Arizona for another outpatient intensive treatment. Um, I continued with outpatient care here with a dietitian with a, which seeing a dietitian as a dietitian, that was humbling. Let me tell you. Um, I had a psychiatrist. I had, you know, this full team of people that were trying to help me. And, and in that I kind of became crippled, right? Like I worked just to pay for all my bills of, you know, treatment that I was getting. Um, I went to, to um, support groups. So my life was scheduled around eating disorder, right? Um, and every day I woke up, it was this fight. You know, um, when I came home from, from treatment, I actually then began, began suffering with bulimia. So I went to treatment for one thing, came out of it with another thing. And so now I had this other, um, I don't know, I guess I just want to call it the devil, right? Like on my shoulder and I would wake up every day and okay, am I going to binge and purge today? You know, and what is that going to look like? So now there's this fear and there's just these behaviors and there's this terrible mental health piece that I was completely lost in. And so um, with all that said, I was a walking eating disorder. And it wasn't until 2020, so last, oh, not last year, but I'm, I don't even know what year we're in anymore. It's 2022. So um, in May of 2020, I was um, in a full relapse and being told I should go back to treatment. And I was really resistant. And I'm not afraid to get help. I'm really not. And uh, I told my therapist at the time, I said, you know, that's just, I really don't think that's a good idea. She's like, Jenna, I really can't keep you as a patient. Like, it's a liability. It's um, a concern. I'm like, I totally understand where you're coming from. It is a liability to have someone struggling this bad and not being willing to go to treatment. I understand. But I said, I really want to try something new. And I want to do this food relationship program that's going to be a five-week program with this, this girl off Instagram. Like, it didn't, I didn't sell it really good, you know. Um, but, but this girl, she, she's um, very, very amazing. She's in school for her master's to get her um, psychology. She's, like, she's working to be a therapist. Um, and she's, she's getting close to the end. But she's also a bodybuilder. And she, she's been there. I was just like, let me just try it. So I did a phone call with her. And I feel that just God spoke to her, through her to me that day. And I know it because the chains broke on May 11th of 2020. And I will never forget that day. But I was on the phone call with her and I really didn't want to be on the phone call. I was in a bad mood that day. My mindset wasn't there. My mental health was a mess. And, and the, the main thing I remember her saying right at the end of the call, she said, Jenna, I just want you to know one thing. If you don't remember anything else about the call, I just need you to know this, that you were not your eating disorder. It's just an experience in which you lived. Boom, right there. The chains broke. And I realized in that moment that I wasn't an eating disorder. I wasn't a walking eating disorder. I wasn't, I didn't have to hold on to that thing anymore because experiences are meant to be lived. They're meant to be lived through and then you have to move on. And I just, I, I, uh, such a freeing thing to realize that you don't have to hold on to an identity that ultimately is trying to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> And isn't that so, I, I don't know if ironic is, is the right word, but the, the whole pro, not everything, but the whole program of, of recovery in our country, I think I would be violent towards the people in those programs. Like, let's say if I was there, I would be violent because they're, they're completely like shoving that you're an, you, you're anorexic. 
you have to do everything I say. And I'm not, I would, I would totally rebel. My soul would like, my soul cringes. Let me just share that I am a total teacher's pet. I'm a total rule follower. And in that treatment center, I was a complete rebel. I was not myself. I broke every single rule. I hid food. I did like all the bad things, right? The rebellious things, because you lose a sense of self in a way that like, no one wants to be controlled like that. No. Right. So I get it. Like, and that's not even my personality at the core, but I was, I was like ready to run away. (laughs) Like that's, yeah, it was was crazy. Yeah. It's like, uh, it makes me cringe. And then it's same with my, what my world, like you have prolapse, so mm-hmm. you can't do this or that. And that makes me want to rip my hair out. Nine, t- nine out of 10 women that come to me and they're like, I have prolapse. And I, I was told I can't da, 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 da. And I'm like, stop it. Stop right now. You or or you were in the way I, I worded it. I wasn't, I didn't make it sound as cringy as it actually sounds, but we need to stop identifying with diagno- a, a diagnosis. Yes, thank you. We definitely <laughs> need to. Because first of all, these diagnoses that are out there are, well, not even that accurate. Like, the, at least in my world, I think the process of the diagnosis of prolapse is so freaking faulty. I mean, there's aspects that are okay, just similar to anorexia. Yeah. Or, or an eating disorder. But like you said earlier, you did not necessarily fit yep. the perfect definition. And then, yep. so you want to be a perfect student. So you, uh, that almost makes you worse. You're like, well, if I have anorexic, if, I am, if I'm anorexic, I better be a good anorexic. Yes. Yes. I remember telling my um, therapist during this recovery process, uh, you know, after I was home and everything, and she had said something and I said, well, I feel like I didn't actually achieve my goal of having an eating disorder, which that just like, it takes you back. Cause you're like, what do you mean? A goal? Like what, what goals did you have? And I said, well, to me, like being an accomplished person with anorexia would have had X, Y, Z. And that was kind of really sad to say out loud, but also kind of true, right? Because it, like you said, you, you put that on yourself as an identity, or even just like you said, with, with your patients that come in and say, well, I, I was told I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And what's so interesting is when I started working with that mindset coach, and now this is just a prerequisite for all my therapists um, that I see now, which I don't go as often, but I love it because to me, it's self-development. Um, I tell them, I want to focus on living out a solution, not just focus on the problems where I found in in that realm of eating disorder um, treatment or recovery uh, platforms. It's very much let's focus on a problem. What went wrong this week? What did you do? Quote unquote bad this week, right? How many times did you restrict? How many times did you binge and purge? Um, What's your intention in everything, right? I was just overanalyzing every single move I made. Um, and so I was like, no, I'm done with that. I want to live out a solution. What can I do? And I do that with my patients. Even, you know, I've had patients who were really struggling with their weight and they come to me and they're like, okay, give me a meal plan. What, what can't I eat? I'm like, no, I don't play that game. I'm going to let you know what you can eat because that's already going to change the dynamic of our mindset. It's already going to change the dynamic of the way that we look at a situation. If we look at all the things we can't do, we're going to feel like defeated or like, why even try? But when we focus on what we can do, there's so many more avenues we can go down. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's kind of like the scarcity mindset versus the abundance mindset mindset. And Uh, I don't know if it's modern, if if it's Western medicine and controlling, like I am, I'm I'm saying this outright to everyone that's listening. I am definitely in the middle of Eastern and Western. I am not here to control anyone. I'm here to guide you. And I'm sure. And I think Jenna, you're, you're in the same boat, but like these, these paternalistic models that the American medical association, I think, yeah, I'm saying it that, uh, really pushes is actually harming 
and not every medical provider in the under the AMA uh, is like that by any means. But gosh, I think that is th- that th- identifying with your diagnosis is so disempowering. I get like it's relieving to hear, oh, there's a name for that. But h- how do we not? You can't stick to that. Because sometimes it's not even accurate. Yes. And I'm glad that you said that because I do agree. Like, right, not, we're we're kind of like generalizing, right, in the statement that like things can be, um, the dynamic of of medical care can be a little bit off sometimes. But I agree. I think like the more people um, who can just focus on empowerment, right? I think we would see a lot less, um, illness, especially the preventative, like the preventative ones. Um, the ones that maybe like heart disease or things that are caused by inactivity or weight or all the things. Right. And it's not about, I, I find a lot of times it comes down to like the money piece, right? Like a doctor only has 15 minutes with a patient. And so when I worked in that medical like office, he was like, yeah, like I only get this much time. That's why I need you. Um, but then I get these patients come in and they've seen all their doctors. Right. And they're like, yeah, doctor told me I need to lose 80 pounds. (laughs) Well, of course they're not going to like feel empowered by that or not. They're not going to feel like they can manage that because it seems so out of this world. And then the doctor had to go, they didn't have time to sit there and talk about it. So, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things that I wish, you know, we, we could change, Um, But I think that's where these conversations come in and just people being open about like what's actually happening and how um, what we do on different ends of the spectrum, right? Like you're very specialized in your care um, and so am I, but we can spend that extra time to really have the individual who comes feel empowered enough to make decisions on their own. Because what we're giving are suggestions. They don't have to do any of it. Mm -mm. Some people think like they have to listen to everything that their provider says. And so I will be like straight up and like this, you absolutely do have to actually listen to me. Well, yeah. I mean, they're paying, I mean, I would hope they would. Right. But at the end of the day, it's still their choice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I want to ask you about triggers. So let's, let's go back to where these types of patterns start. Now I mentioned this in the intro before you came on, but one of the reasons why I particularly like I, well, I want, I wanted you to come on and I sought you out to be a coach in my upcoming deep core, excuse me, deep core reconnect challenge is a lot of these, a lot of issues that people come in to see me for like peeing their pants or pain with sex, all of those different things or performance with, with movement and exercise. Um, they're not always ready to start working with me because they're not fueling their body the way that their, their body needs. And so they're physiologically unstable, but, um, they're not even aware of that. And it's hard for me to say, look, well, I'd say straight up, I can't stop. You're going to keep peeing your pants. If you're not, if you're not, uh, feel like if you're starving yourself, whether it's calorically or nutrient dense calories. Um, and, but sometimes yeah, people, it's just, they're not even aware of those triggers. So where does this, this start and how do people become a, or awaken to their triggers and start like, I do have a problem and I'm ready to hear what are my solutions? Like, where do, where do we start? Yeah, I really love that. And something that I was thinking about before we jumped on this call is I was like, okay, like what would, what would be something that someone could take away from this conversation um, that they could apply to their life right now? And I think the place to start is you have to be willing to ask yourself the hard questions. You have to be willing to sit with yourself and be like, okay, hold on. Something is amiss and why? Right. And, and sometimes that it, it is uncomfortable. Like none of us want to like, I think of it this way. I think of us as we love to present ourselves like in a box with a bow with glitter, all it's wrapped perfect. Right. But you open it up and it can be a really big hot mess and me included. Right. Um, and I think sometimes, yeah, we have to be willing to like 
open the box and look inside like what is going on inside and 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 it's easier said than done right for someone who's maybe never connected with themselves on an intimate level right like someone who's never been willing to like get in the dirty the ugly the messy parts um it could be and this might be silly but like it might be like sitting down to journal when was the last time like you sat down and were just like what's going on inside my head you know or um i'll give an example from myself recently that was related to food and then related to my body um i had noticed that i was getting like eczema patches all over my legs and they're so itchy and i all the time every single day and i all of a sudden just had this like gut feeling that it could have been like a gluten thing. And I was like, nah, I love my bread. I love my gluten. Like I've never had an issue with gluten. I'm not bloating. I don't have digestive issues. So I ignored it. I ignored it. I ignored it. And then just recently I was like, okay, Jenna, you know, like your stomach is starting to hurt and these are getting worse. Are you going to be willing to like try it for 30 days. I'm not saying gluten's bad. I'm just saying for me and my body at this moment, something was off and I had, I had to be willing to try it or deal with consequences. What other questions? What are other hard questions? I know my hard questions that, that well, one, I have to ask myself or what I had to ask myself. And then I know in the realm of my like pelvic health evaluations, like spirituality. I don't know what the heck happened. I think I, I definitely had a near death experience in college. And then I had a spiritual awakening in 2020. And, but now it's like, I could like see into people's souls. It sounds Mm -hmm. so creepy, but like just by their energy. And I, and I know the questions I want to ask because of why they're coming in, but what about with, with around food? and, and yeah. how they ap- approach their relationship with food. What are the hard questions? And let's go, let's go right into the gut, Jenna, because it's not like anyone's, we're putting them on the spot. We're putting them on the spot with them, with themselves right here, right now. Yes. So I love it. What are I love those it. Questions? Yeah. Those questions are definitely like, um, what are you afraid? Like, what foods are you afraid of? Can you truly eat anything you want. And I'm not talking, you know, if somebody has like celiac or something, gluten might be up, but I'm talking about things that you would want. Like, can you, can you go to a holiday party and not be absolutely terrified? Can you go to a restaurant and not freak out because somebody is cooking your food and they might be adding oil or butter, right? Like asking yourself the questions of like, you know, what about why, why are they afraid? True. Right. Like, so first, like the yes or the no. And then it's like, are you afraid? I remember I had to make a list once of all the foods I was afraid of. It was quite a list. Let me tell you. And, um, then I had to write why, and I remember I couldn't write a why. Why couldn't you write a why? Because in your head, when someone is struggling with food, there is no logic. Okay. There's zero logic at all. And so it was just like, well, at one point that food was scary and therefore I cannot eat it. And then when I went to go put a why, I thought I don't have a good answer. So therefore it just showed me that it was like illogical and that I just had like, oh, clearly it's not that bad then, but it becomes a story in your mind. So that's the other thing is asking yourself, like, what kind of stories am I telling myself? Am I telling myself that I am always going to hate my body? Am I telling myself that this food is going to make me fat? Am I telling myself? And so I'll share one of my stories because I actually had some really, um, what I would consider pretty good stories because I was knowledgeable, because I knew what a healthy relationship with food could look like. I used that as part of my story, which is why, again, it hid for so long, so well. So I would tell people, oh, I can eat that. I'm just going to choose not to. Is that real or is that a story? Definitely a story, right? I remember my grandpa saying, Jenna, um, are you going to have some cake? And I would say, oh, grandpa, I can eat that, but I'm just going to choose not to. No, I couldn't eat the cake, right? Because the cake was either going to, you know, all the terrible things I thought about it, or depending on what part of the eating disorder I was struggling with the most, it could have led to a full-on binge. So I might as well not stopped. 
So the stories, the stories, those are very important to identify. What would you say to someone that says, okay, I cannot eat this because it'll, I, it'll, I'll gain weight. Yeah. Cause they're obviously not going to gain weight in one, one sitting. So what, where do they, how, how do you advise a person that is afraid of that? Yeah, I've, I've worked with several clients, right? Um, and I love that now I'm in a space because I didn't think I was going to go back to being a dietitian. When I came home, I was basically told not to. And I didn't know if I could handle it because talking about food, being around food um, was very, very hard for me at first for a very long time or other people talking about weight, right? There's a competitive nature with, with the eating disorder because you got to be good at it, right? Um, so Um, but now that I'm back in it and I can just be open about my story, I can sit across from someone and be like, yeah, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense that you feel afraid. Um, and that you feel like eating X, Y, Z is going to lead to weight gain. I I get it. I've been there. Um, and I can also say, okay, like, do you have evidence for that? right? Have you seen it happen? Cause you know, a lot of times, let's say someone's at a birthday party and they're like, well, I'm if I eat cake, I'm going to gain weight. I'm like, well, did everyone else that just eat cake, like blow up before your eyes, you know, like gain 10 pounds in front of you? Oh no, they didn't, but I would. It's kind of that thing where you have to be willing to challenge yourself and you have to be willing to do the harder thing. Um, So in those moments, I remember so many times I had to do different food challenges where I'd be like, okay, like, let's test it. Like, let me gather evidence myself. Um, Did I die when I ate? M&Ms? Nope. Okay, good. Right. And you have to like build upon it. Sometimes you have to do it over and over again. Um, and part of that's also realizing, I remember that, um, especially someone that would maybe struggle with overeating or like, I'll restrict this, this treat now because it's bad, but then maybe on the weekend you eat an overload of it. I had somebody tell me it was my mindset coach. She says, wouldn't it be better to just have one, let's say it's a cookie, right? Have one every single day versus 20 on the weekend in one sitting. I was like, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. You know, so there's just different methods that I can use for certain people that I'm working with, depending on what their fear is, why they're afraid of it. And we, and we have to just build the confidence that um, they can do it and be okay. So and then how do you, cause this is a, also a part of it. How do you help with that? Okay. So that piece of it. And then like, if they hate their body, how do you help someone? Cause you can't at the, at the root of it, there has to be some piece of that. Maybe it's not, they hate their body, but or body dysmorphia. So what they see in the mirror is not actually what is in the mirror. Where does that come in? Because I know for me, I've yet to meet a therapist that I resonate with. So I like the coaching route, mindset coaching route. That helps way more than traditional like Western medicine. My insurance accepts this therapist. So, and I know in my, my field, it's like you're, you're, I'm a physical therapist, but it's like, I'm all the things a little bit because that that's just holistically how I do things. But how do you help people with that? self-love and body dysmorphia piece? Yeah, I love that question. You know, I'm very similar to you in that sometimes um, I do act as the therapist and there are times that um, I've had patients up to 80 80 years old crying to me about something with food from their childhood, right? And I'm like, yeah, this stuff comes way back. It it goes way back. And and I used to think, oh, am I crossing the line? Like, is this like therapist status? You know, but but at the end of the day, like you said, we kind of have to fill that role. And my philosophy is very much uh includes mind, body, and soul or mind, body, and spirit. And so I dig into all of that. Now, when it comes to body image and self-hate and body dysmorphia, man, that is a tough, tough space. Um, and What's super interesting, something I learned going through my own journey, um, many, many therapists, many, many people would say body image is the last thing to go in terms of uh, hate or struggle with that. And it truly is. Um, 
I think that it's very normal to experience an off day, right? We're like, man, I just don't feel awesome. Or you wake up and you're like, dang, you know, you look really good. However, though, though the self-hate, uh, the body image, the really, really struggling with hating your body or the body dysmorphia, you know, that's taking it to another level. And I think that we have to look at that in, in a unique way. So what I tell a lot of my um, clients, patients, people, friends, whatever, um, is something that I did myself. So I, in my head was like, okay, there's no way I'm going to jump from self-hate to self-love. There's just no possible way. Like th that's a very large jump. But can I move from hate to just acceptance? Like, can I just be? Like, can my arm just be my arm? I don't have to like it. I don't have to love it. I don't have to say anything nice about it. I don't have to say anything about it. It can just be my arm, right? Um, so kind of moving to that acceptance piece. And then from the acceptance piece, moving to an appreciation piece. So what I did for a really long time, actually, was every single day I wrote three things down um, in a planner, journal, whatever, of things that I appreciated about my body. That's it. Appreciated. So it might have been like, I appreciate that I can hug. My arms can like wrap around somebody and I can hug them. I appreciate that I can um, digest food. I appreciate that my body can utilize fuel for energy so I can move. I love that I can dance. I appreciate that I can, ex you know, drive a car, whatever it was. It was just things that my body does for me that I can appreciate. And that really changed the game for me because um, it took it out of just aesthetics and it took it into more of just what it does. Um, another piece, right, because the aesthetics is still there. I actually would get dressed away from a mirror every single day. And if I got into the shower, I didn't look into the mirror. I would get undressed, I would get into the shower, and that was it. Because a lot of times this body dysmorphia, um, this, this body hatred comes from all this, the body checking that we do, right? You stand in front of the mirror, you look at all the things that you don't like. You're getting dressed and you're like, oh, see, look at this part that I don't like. Um, and so we're just continually, continuously telling ourselves that we don't like this part. And here's another thing that I... I I don't know if I made this quote up or if I wrote it down or if somebody told me, but you can't change your body by hating it. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. It's just going to be impossible. What you said. Wow. That, that that's so powerful. Both what you just said. And then before that, there is a, um, I think it's an ancient Chinese proverb about like, I, I forget the direct quote, even though I listened to this, like this thing probably five times a week. It's like the person that doesn't have any aversions or like pleasures or aversions, they're just like neutral is the one that is the most content with life. Like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to put it in the show notes because that like my goal last beside, besides learning to trust myself last year, it was more of like, there's no good nor bad. It just is. It's just being, it's just like, yes. it doesn't, it doesn't, it's, it's just is, it's like no, not that I'm, I'm, I'm saying no to pleasure or no to pain. It's just that stop judging. It just is. Yeah. yeah it, it, it's like letting it's go of judgment. That, yeah. We have. Yes. Um, so one of the things, again, learn this in treatment, but I've held on to it. They said, um, truth without judgment. And I thought that that was a powerful thing because it is kind of like, it's nice to be able to just be like, this is just what it is. And when we yeah. put the judgment on it, either way is what makes us feel um, more anxious about it. And either way, right? Like if something we consider good, I, at least me, I feel anxious. Like what if it gets taken away? Or right. if it's bad, right, then it's just like the stress of like, oh, I'm never going to get through it, you know, and it's just too hard. And I mean, let's be real. I don't like things that feel hard. And I'm sure other people are going to relate to that. Um, we kind of like that comfort. However, one of my other things that I love to hold on to and have to remind myself that like growth comes through resistance. And so, again, that really applies um, in a personal training or in a fitness realm of like, you got to keep you know, doing the reps and putting resistance on the muscle to build it 
same thing comes in life. The way that we grow, the way that we get stronger is through the resistance that comes. And so although we don't want to experience the hard, um, I can look back now on my own journey that I just shared that was extremely hard. Um, and there were days that I thought for sure I wasn't going to get through. And I can look back and be like, wow, that kind of was a turning point in my life. And I don't think I would change it. Now, I don't want to go through it again, um, but I, I am fully aware that there will be other challenges that come up in my life, um, but I don't think I would change that because it kind of made me who I am. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I want, I want to ask you one more question before I let you go because I know I've kept you so long. Uh, I'm sure a lot of your clients have are in relationships and their partners may or may not be part of the problem, meaning like, making comments about what a person like, oh, you're going to eat that. I can't believe you're going to eat that. When I hear that, I want to go to that person's home and choke the other person. Yeah. What the heck? And clearly you can't, I mean, you can't just say, no, leave that person. But yeah. how do you, how do you give people guidance that are in those types of situations where, okay, they're, they're trying, but like who their, their environment is not conducive for change. Mm, yeah, that's, that's a really good question. And I think many, many people experience that, whether it's, um, a recovery journey, maybe someone's trying to fix their relationship with, with food or heal their relationship with food, or maybe it's someone who's on a weight loss journey, which, that ties in, but right. Like so it depends on what people's focus is. Um, and not everyone's always going to be on board or, or be understanding. So my advice, right. I'm a communicator. I'm a really big communicator. And I know it's hard because not everybody, um, can receive what you're saying. Um, but I just say like, there's a couple things. So first thing, if someone is good at receiving what you're saying, just let them know hey, like this is something I'm working on. Let, let's put it back to the relationship with food piece, right? And you go and you grab a piece of dark chocolate or you grab chips or whatever you want, right? And someone's like, you're eating that? You're eating again? You know, right? Whatever the comment is about food. Um, yeah, I am actually. Um, this, is, this is how I'm working on my, on my relationship with food. This is how I'm feeling my body right now. This is a choice that I'm making, right? So there's pieces. I think that conversation just needs to happen. Um, hey, actually those comments that you make, probably not in the moment, right? Cause you don't want to cause right. all sorts of stuff, but maybe later on, um, Hey, you know, when you made that comment, like asking me if I was going to eat that, or if I should eat that, or if, I was going to eat again when you maybe were thinking that I just ate an hour ago. Um, those comments aren't really helpful. Um, and maybe just offering a different type of, you know, maybe we don't just comment on my food or maybe you ask me a different question. Um, I had to do a lot of that, of course, like coming home from treatment. A lot of people had comments um, and it just had to be that conversation. Now, um, if someone is like not very good at receiving and they're just gonna continue to like cross a boundary that maybe you've set or they just don't hear you at all. Um, part of that is the, that self-awareness piece of being really um, foundational and like hold your ground in terms of like, yep, they made a comment, but that's not going to change what I do because I'm doing this for me. And eventually what I find is people come around and they're like, oh, you're different. You know, like, oh, you know, like they're, they're going to, they may not be able to meet you where you are in that moment, but when they see that you stayed true to who you were and what you wanted to accomplish, then they want to show up. So those are, I don't know if that's answers for anyone in like a very specific way, but those are my, my thoughts. I love that. And I love that you focus on that rather than where I would jump to is just like, they're projecting on you. Like what they're saying, they're really like, if they're criticizing you, they're just speaking to themselves and not realizing it. So that's I true like too. your approach. But yeah, no, that, that could be, that could be another approach for sure. But sometimes, you know, I, I have to remind myself um, that what they're going through is like not doesn't have anything yeah. to do with me. Right. And I right. think to stay in my own lane. So, yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Well, this has been awesome. And I feel like we could just talk all night and 
I might have to split this episode into two because we went so long, but that's okay. It was awesome. Uh, what, what would be a, what is the best way that, uh, my listeners can find you? And if they want to reach out, what, how, what's the best way to do so? Awesome. Yeah. So the best way to reach me is definitely Instagram. I'm there the most. Um, my Instagram handle is J N H fitness and I, you can DM me, you can send me an email from there. Um, just even just ask me questions, like whatever it is, I'm here to support. I just, I love to be an open book. I love to be someone that can share my story, um, share my experiences. If maybe someone's struggling with an eating disorder, disordered eating, body dysmorphia, whatever it is, and you need resources, um, reach out. I, I can try to help in the best way that I can, or pass you along to somebody that knows more than me. Um, but yeah, that's just, I want to be a resource however I can. So Instagram would be the best way. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Jenna. I love, this is always such a cool and helpful experience opportunity for me as well. So thank you so much for your time. And I cannot wait for the upcoming challenge. I think what you have to offer the people that join the challenge is just, it's so invaluable. And even just the short period of time that we are going to be with the people that join is going to be life-changing. So I can't wait for that. No, I'm excited. I mean, you're, you're setting up a really, really cool, um, system for everyone to like be a part of and just learn from all these different, um, experts in their field. And I think it's going to be such an awesome experience before we go and we close. I want to read like one quote that I don't have the author for, but I feel like it ties together my journey, my personal journey, my professional journey. And I think it will just speak, um, to people out there. So I want to share this. Yeah, please. I love this quote. So it says the beauty of life is while we cannot undo what is done, we can see it, understand it, learn from it and change so that every new moment is spent, not in regret, guilt, fear, or anger, but in wisdom, understanding, and love. Wow. What a way to end. I, that you just inspired how inspired me of how I'm going to end this podcast. I can't, I can't say anything now until next time on real talk with the pelvic docs. Thank you so much for listening.